We're going to look at the parable of the royal marriage feast in Matthew chapter number 22. And we'll read the text. Uh, we'll say a word of prayer. And then we'll get into the sermon for this morning. Matthew chapter number 22 in your Bibles and verse 1. Notice what the Bible says here. And Jesus answered and spoke unto them again by parables and said, The kingdom of heaven is like a certain king which made a marriage for his son. He sent forth his servants to call them that were bidden to the wedding, and they would not come. Again, he sent forth other servants, saying, Tell them which are bidden, Behold, I have prepared my dinner, my oxen and my fatlings are killed, and all the things are ready. Come unto the marriage. But they made light of it, and went their ways, one to his farm, another to his merchandise. And the remnant took his servants and entreated them and spitefully and slew them. But when the king heard thereof, he was wroth, and he sent forth his armies and destroyed those murderers and burned up their city. Then saith he to his servants, The wedding is ready, but they which were bidden were not worthy. Go ye therefore into the highways, and as many as ye shall find, bid to the marriage. And so the servants went out into the highways and gathered together all as many as they found, both bad and good. And the wedding was furnished with guests. And when the king came to see the guests, he saw that a man which had not on a wedding garment. And he saith unto him, Friend, how comest thou in hither, not having a wedding garment? And he was speechless. Then said the king to the servants, Bind him hand and foot, and take him away, and cast him into the utter darkness. And there shall be weeping and gnashing of teeth. For many are called, but a few are chosen. Let's pray. Father in heaven, Lord God, we come before you, Father, this morning. And we ask and pray, God, that you'd have your blessing upon your word to our hearts. Father, that you would challenge us and convict us regarding the invitation to the gospel. Uh, the invitation to the wedding, to the marriage feast. I pray, Lord, that you would minister to us. And help us understand what this parable means. Father, help me to convey these truths that were given in this parable by our Lord Jesus Christ. To help your people understand eternal truths in order for their uh, Lord encouragement, for their eternal destiny, and for their relationship with you, Father. We thank you for this portion. And we thank you, Father, for our Saviour, Jesus Christ. We thank you for the testimony that we've heard, for that word that was planted many years ago, that bring forth fruit. Thank you so much, Father, for the work of grace that you have done in Denise's life. I just pray that you would get a hold of us today. Father, help us not to be distracted in this hour. In Jesus' name, amen. Jesus used the parable of the wedding feast and the great supper to present his coming reign of, and his kingdom and also to convey the blessings that believers will partake in that day. In that day, the kingdom will come and the king of the kingdom will rule and reign. But he will receive his bride and provide a wedding feast for his people. It's going to be a glorious day. It will be a day of comfort for all those uh, disciples of Jesus Christ. And the promise of our Lord Jesus Christ is fulfilled during this time. Jesus said in John 14, uh, I'll go and prepare a place for you. And he says, I will come again. And receive you unto myself. And at this time, 
when the kingdom comes and the marriage feast is ready, this is what our Lord was alluding to, that the night of the Last Supper, when Jesus gathered his 12 disciples together, he says, I will not drink henceforth this fruit of the vine, look at this, until that day, and I believe uh, referring to the kingdom to come. <clears throat> the, this event would undoubtedly be spectacular. It's a wonderful, glorious uh, event of rejoicing for those who have responded to the invitation of the wedding uh, 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 invitation. It's going to be splendid, bliss, glorious. Uh, as a matter of fact, Locker states this, the provision was abundant. It was a feast, not a funeral. Giver and guests were both to rejoice together. On the other hand, it's a time for mourning and weeping and a horrible distress for those that have rejected the invitation and for those who try to enter into the marriage feast on their terms. As we look into this parable, you'll find it's both encouraging and sobering. I want to point out three things. I want to talk about the circumstance of this parable surrounding it and then the clarification of it. And then as we come to an end, the crucial truth behind this parable. So let's look at the circumstance. When we look at this parable, we observe context. Context is important and the circumstances and the surroundings, if you will, surrounding this parable. And we're able to draw more light into what Jesus is trying to convey. And so if we look at the parallel passages, if we look at another gospel, if you will, that mentions this parable, we can draw more light for, from that part of the scripture. However, this parable is only mentioned once in Matthew chapter 22. <clears throat> and so the pre-passage of the parable though, if we go back to chapter 21, you'll see two more parables given that are almost similar. The prior par parables Jesus gives uh, regards the two sons and the tenants. And the two sons depict both Jew and Gentile and their responses to the will of God in reference to the kingdom of God. Jesus uses this parable to contrast how the Jews rejected God's prophet, John the Baptist, who paved the way for Jesus Christ in comparison to the Gentiles who believed John's message and therefore submitted to the will of God. And we see in Matthew chapter 21, verse 31, he says this to the Jews that rejected. And we're talking about the Jews as a nation that rejected Jesus Christ. He says, Verily I say unto you that the publicans and the harlots go into the kingdom of God before you. And the parable of the tenants depicts how the nation of Israel were given great privileges and opportunity to bring forth fruit for the kingdom of God and for the glory of God. God sent prophet after prophet to help them respond and come back to uh, their original calling to bring God glory and to be a nation that would depict God's blessing and promises and to call them to repentance and remind them that the kingdom of God is at hand. But they rejected prophet after prophet. They rejected John the Baptist. They killed uh, uh, Jesus. They crucified the Son of God. And, Je and Jesus uses this parable to convey their God-given responsibility as a nation and how they forfeited it. It is no doubt that the head of the church is Jesus Christ. And so Jesus alludes that he was going to take the blessing and their responsibility from the nation of Israel and give it to the church which is made up of Jews and Gentiles. He says in Matthew chapter 21, verse 42, Jesus saith unto them, Did ye never read in the scriptures the stone which the builders rejected, the same became the head of the corner? This is the Lord's doing, and it's the marvelous in our eyes. 
Therefore I say unto you, the kingdom of God shall be taken from you and given to another nation, bringing forth fruits thereof. And he's alluding to that holy nation, which is the church, again, made up of Jews and Gentiles. Now, how do these parables relate to this current parable found in Matthew chapter 22? Uh, well, the significance is this. <clears throat> you can either reject Christ or receive Christ. You can re reject the invitation of the king regarding the son of God, or you can simply uh, receive the invitation of the king. And, uh, and so the prompting of the parable, we have to ask ourselves this question, what prompted Jesus to give these three parables, in particular Matthew chapter 22? These parables were no doubt prompted because Jesus was challenging, uh, or I should say rather, were challenged by the religious rulers uh, and simply saying to the Son of God here on earth manifested, what gives you the authority to do these things? I want you to see Matthew chapter 21 verse 23. And when he was coming to the temple, the chief priests and the elders of the people came unto him as he was teaching and said, by what authority doest thou these things? And who gave you this authority? And so the question has to be asked then, what prompted the Jewish leaders to ask such a question? Oh, there are two things, I believe. First of all, uh, in verse uh, 9, we see that there was a multitude of people worshipping the king of kings as he rode upon the donkey going into Jerusalem. And if you look at the other passage of scripture, we see that the Pharisees were telling Jesus, bid them to stop, tell your disciples to stop. And Jesus responded this, and he answered, I tell you that if these should hold their peace, the stones immediately will cry out. So that was the first thing, the worship and the reverence and the uh, praise that the Son of God was receiving. But the second thing is found from verse, 20, uh, verse 12 to 16. Jesus gives another possible reason here. Uh, well, I, I give a po another possible reason regarding this. When he cleansed the temple, you know what happened then? Jesus cleanses the temple and he finds people using the house of God as if it was a marketplace or was a supermarket. People were trading. Uh, there were money changes. They were selling animals there for sacrifices, if you will. And Jesus made it very clear that my father's house has always been a place of worship, a place of prayer. And so we know what happened. I don't have to go into the passage and tell you. He flipped the tables. He chased them now. And can you imagine his uh, you know, actions would have undermined the religious rulers of the day. How come uh, the religious rulers, the Jewish people of the day, why didn't they chase them out? Why didn't they say, listen, you're defying the temple? Well, I could say that perhaps they had something to do with it. So Jesus answers a question, by the way, to their question by them saying, by what authority do you do this? And he says in verse 24, he says, I will ask you one thing. Which, if ye tell me, I'll in like no, uh, he says, if you tell me this answer to the question, I in like wise will tell you by what authority I do these things. He says this, the baptism of John, whence was it? From heaven or of men? And they reason within themselves, saying, if we say it's from heaven, he will say unto us, why did ye not believe him? And if we say of men, we fear the people, for all hold John as a prophet. And they answered Jesus and said, we cannot tell. And he said unto them, neither tell I you, uh, by what authority do I these things? So what's the point? Uh, what has this got to do with what we're talking about? Well, they rejected John, and they clearly now are rejecting the Son of God. And so if you reject John, you reject, you, 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 you're going to reject the Son of God, because John's ministry was to pave the way and point to Jesus Christ. 
And so Jesus takes it upon himself to teach these parables that refers to receiving Christ or rejecting Christ. Now let's look at the clarifications of the parable. This parable is the last of the three parables regarding the nation of Israel and their significant consequences in rejecting their king. In this parable, the son of the owner of the vineyard is now the king's son, which the king made a marriage. Look at verse 2. <clears throat> the, king, the kingdom of heaven is like unto a certain king, which made a marriage for his son. So this third parable, we see the nation of Israel being set aside and the church uh, being called to take its place. And as we read the scriptures, you will find that the church is referred to the bride, which is made both of Jews and Gentiles. Look at uh, verse 24 of Matthew 15, just here on the screen for the sake of time. He says, I am not sent but to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. But if you go to John chapter 10, he also says, there are other sheep I have, which are not of this fold. Them also I must bring, and they shall hear my voice, and there shall be, look at this, one fold, one shepherd. All right? So this parable talks about how he was reaching the house of Israel and now he will turn to the Gentiles. And so the marriage feast, uh, which the king made for his son, is a celebration, if you will, of, of, uh, and the rejoicing of the son, uh, which represents the gospel or the pinnacle of the gospel and our relationship with him. So we're going to, the bride will come to meet the son or the bridegroom, if you will, and there'll be a feast. And so the first part of the parable focuses on the rejection of Israel and the second part of the parable deals with the future calling of the Gentiles uh, regarding the gospel which brings you into the church. So let's see the call to the Jews first in, in, in verse 3. So he sent forth his servants to call them that were bidden to the wedding and they would not. And so the certain king refers to God the Father, the Son obviously refers, refers to Jesus Christ and so again, to better understand what's taking place, it's, all, it's good to understand the culture of a wedding. So in the Jewish culture, the parents of the engaged will draw up a covenant or a contract. Both the bride and the groom will be there to observe these things. The couple will be considered, if you will, betrothed and slash married, uh, uh, and, but they'll be separated for a time. Uh, the bride will stay with her parents. The groom will go and set the house up and make it ready. And when the time comes, this, by the way, can take about several months. When the time comes, he can come, he'll come back and he'll receive the bride. They'll have the wedding and then the feast will take place thereafter. Said culturally that they had a feast for about a week. Imagine that, celebrating for one week uh, a wedding that had just taken place. Some of you will be in for that. Amen. A feast would be wonderful feast and celebrations will take place now also it's important in the jewish culture to understand the invitation you know over here when we have a wedding going to take place we send out cards and we expect them to rsvp well in this culture they will send the first invitation and call the people to come and join the wedding or the marriage feast and then the second invitation would be now the wedding is ready and come on let's meet so it would be another prompting if you will the first was to prompt them that there was going to be a marriage and a feast and you're welcome to come and the second invitation was now it is ready now the feast is ready the marriage is going to to come and then come along and so in verse 3 he sent forth his servants to call them that were bidden to the wedding 
And uh, the servants here, I would say, it would refer to John the Baptist, a prophet, uh, the disciples at the time, and even Christ himself, inviting uh, the people to come, and, uh, or particularly the Jews, and, which and, and the people that were bidden here would refer to the nation of Israel. Remember, John the Baptist, as I said before, paved the way for Jesus Christ. Look, look what John says in John chapter 3. I want you to see this. Verse 28, Ye yourselves bear witness of me, this is John talking, that I said I'm not the Christ, but that I, I, I am sent before him. He have, look at this, he that have the bride is the bridegroom, but the friend of the bridegroom, which standeth, uh, uh, which standeth and heareth me, rejoiceth greatly because of the bridegroom's voice. This is my joy, therefore is fulfilled. He must increase, but I must decrease. You know what John was simply saying? I must get out of the way now, and Christ is set in. I've done my part. My part was to pave the way, to prepare the people for the coming king. All right, And so this is what John did. And you know and understand that the Jews at that particular time, some of them were repenting, confessing their sins, and even, even some other people, Gentiles. <clears throat> but there were religious rulers there, and the chief priests and the authorities that were looking at them. And by the way, who can remember what John called them? Generations of what? Vipers, snakes. And uh, he said, who had warned you from the, from the wrath of God to come? And so these people, I believe, is part of what Jesus is you know, bringing out the parables against not just the common Jew that says, I, I, I'm not going to come, we'll see that in a moment, but for the religious rulers who vigorously not only rejected the invitation, but took it upon themselves to persecute God's servants. Though, so we see the invitation in a sense was given to come to the marriage and honour the Son. That's the invitation, honour Christ. And, uh, and by the way, if you honour the Son, you honour the Father. Jesus said that very clearly. But notice now the first response to the call. Look at verse 3. He sent his servants to call them that were bidden to the wedding, and they what? They would not. You know what this reminds me of? Straight away when I was looking at this passage, this reminds me of what Jesus said in Matthew 23 after he proclaims judgment against the blind Jewish leaders and when he lamented over Israel or Jerusalem because of their constant rejection of Christ. In Matthew 23, verse uh, uh, 37, he says, O Jerusalem, Jerusalem, thou that killest the prophets and stonest them which are sent unto thee, how often would I have gathered thy children together, even as a hen gathered her chickens under her wings. Look at this. He says this, and ye would not. Time and time again, God stretched forth his arm and invites them to come, and they would not. And so the king sends more servants. Look at verse 4. This time the king gives more detail and makes it clear that everything's ready. Everything is prepared. It's time to come. Look at verse 4. Again, he sent forth other servants saying, Tell them which are bidden, behold, I've prepared my dinner. My oxen, my fatlings are killed. And all things are ready. Come unto the marriage. And so all the, all the people of Israel here. All the nation of Israel, the common man, the, the leaders were all invited, by the way. Uh, it's whosoever will out of all the nation of Israel would come. And, and it suggested that the two invitations given, the first and second, one was pre-Pentecost and one was after Pentecost. One was pre-Calvary and one was after the cross. And so we see this, the, the, the servants being John and the disciples and Christ inviting them and then the cross Jesus is crucified, and then after that, Pentecost, the Holy Spirit comes, the apostles go forth again to the Jewish nations, Jerusalem and Judea, to uh, uh, you know, invite them to come to the marriage feast. 
And so even the Apostle Paul, by the way, uh, who was generally called to the Gentiles, made it a habit to go to the who first? Jew first. Remember, when he entered into a certain place, he went to the synagogue and he would teach there for some time. And, uh, and so it was always the invitation stretched out to them to come, come, come. But they would not. Notice the second response here in verse 5. But they made light of it and went their ways, one to his farm, another to his merchandise. You know what made light of it meant? They didn't care. They didn't care about God, the King, uh, the Creator God, His Son, Jesus Christ. They didn't care. They made light of it. They just went back to their merry way, back to their uh, you know, business, back to their merchandise, their trading. And uh, it's, it, it's, it, I mean, what a reaction. I mean, you get invited to a royal wedding and you say no. Well, this tells us where their heart was. Their, their heart was uh, regarding, uh, or they were preoccupied, I should say, with material things, their business, their work. Their livelihood here on earth was more important than the things of God, or I should say, eternal things. And here's one thing. It's not that they could not come. It's that they did not want to come. They could have come. I mean, you can set some time up. I mean, anyone that cares for, you know, uh, the Son and the Father and the things of God can make some time. And by the way, who's given us time? God has. Without God, we wouldn't have anything. We wouldn't have no possessions, no life, no time, no nothing. And so I'm sure that you can make time for God. As a matter of fact, the Bible says, Seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And all these things will be given unto you. God knows what you need. You don't have to put material things before God. But it just shows you where their heart was. You know, John 5 says, and verse 40 says this. And uh, he says that you will not come to me that ye might have life. It's not that they couldn't come. They say it would not come. They want to come. All right, so that's important to understand because God's invitation was given to them. They could have come, but they didn't want to come. They were too busy. And the way they rejected the invitation proves their heart. It proves, really, in reality, where, who, who their master was. All right, in uh, Matthew chapter 6, Sermon on the Mount, Jesus says in verse 20, he says, Lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven, where neither moth nor rust doth corrupt, and where thieves do not break through, nor still. See how Jesus tries to uh, help his disciples or those that are listening to fix and focus on eternal things. Verse 24 says, No man can serve two masters. Either he'll love the one and hate the other, or else he will hold to one and despise the other. Look at this. You cannot serve God and mammon. It's one or the other. You say, well, what about the work and the business and the farm and all that? No, it's good. You can work. Uh, but work and business should never take the place of God. Work and business and money should never be your master. These are all means that God has given us to live, to survive, to serve God and to worship God. Now, when you look into the scriptures, you also notice three classes of people. I'm talking about from Genesis to Revelation. You look at some of people that respond to the invitation. They want to come. Man, it's like music to their ears. They hear about the message of the gospel and they love it. They, they hear about what Jesus has done, the good tidings of peace and joy, and they gravitate to it. They believe and they come to Christ, formulate a relationship with God through Jesus Christ. But there are others that are counting the cost. They get out their spiritual calculator and they count the cost and they say, is it worth coming? Uh, if I do come, what would I lose? If I do come, what will I gain? And, uh, and if you're going to, uh, let me tell you something, it's already been calculated at Calvary. Jesus calculated, listen, he paid it all. 
I mean, he, he, he died on the cross so you can have eternal life and be forgiven. And the best thing that we can have as, as people is forgiveness with God, peace with God. And when we die, have a home in heaven to be with God. There's no greater joy. What are you calculating? But there are people that calculate. And there are people that are just blunt, no, don't want anything to do with it. I'm, no. They just don't want God. You can't force these people to come in. I mean, who can force people to RSVP and come to the wedding? You can't. They don't want to come. They're not interested in coming. Well, there were these people here. Majority of the nation of Israel didn't want to come. In verse 26, we see another brutal response to the invitation. Verse six, uh, 26, <clears throat> and the, uh, sorry, verse 6, I should say, and the remnant took his servant and entreated him spitefully and slew them. Wow. Now, who's the remnant here? Well, the remnant of those that were left. In other words, there were those that made light of it, and there were others that, you know, and went their way to their business, and there were others that left and decided to kill their servants. Now, what a response. I mean, it's one thing to be apathetic and say, look, I'm not interested, and that was your common Jew. But then you have these religious rulers that took it upon themselves to make sure that these servants were persecuted unto death. And we do see that take place, by the way, pre and post Pentecost, pre and post Calvary. We, we do, we, we, what happened to Stephen? He was stoned to death. What happened to James? He was killed with a sword. What happened to Jesus? He was crucified by these people. They put him to death. They, they entreated them spitefully. In other words, these people abused them, shamed them, and ended up killing them. The aggressive violence and persecution afflicted upon God's servants and messages. Now, there's no different. It happens today. It happens today. It happened even uh, in the Old Testament to the prophets. Uh, David went through it. King David, the righteous king. Uh, what a strange response to a kind gesture. They were all paying evil for good. I mean, that's a bit warped. Someone's trying to tell you, hey, there's good things here. There's peace and joy and there's a banquet there to celebration there's a royal king that's having a royal wedding for his son and 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 you respond by you repay evil with good why well the psalmist said this david said they have rewarded me evil for good hatred for my love wow and it's common today we it's no different than today there are those that reject the gospel call and an indifferent attitude. As a matter of fact, some people say, no, thank you, not for me. And they walk away and they're polite about it and they go to their business. But there are others that are like vultures. You tell them about Jesus Christ. You tell them about the gospel. You tell them how you can be forgiven. You tell them about salvation. And they're just, get out of my face. I'll rip your head off. And you think, why do people respond this way? Why are there two kinds of people that are responding in this manner? Well, remember what Jesus said. Jesus said in Matthew chapter 5, Blessed are they which are persecuted for what sake? Righteousness sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are they when men revile you and persecute you and shall say all manner of evil against you falsely for my sake. Rejoice and be exceeding glad, for great is your reward in heaven. So persecuted the prophets which were before you. It's prophecy. You know what keeps me going? Week in, week out. Ye, month in, month out. Ye in, ye out. This here. Jesus said that you'll be persecuted for this. You could talk about almost anything in the world and you'll be fine. But as soon as you bring up the name of Jesus, 
and the things of God. Oh boy, you're finished. Why? Why is that? Well, notice now the condemnation to the court. Verse 7, and we see when the king hears about the unjust behavior of these Jews, uh, these people who became, uh, you know, vigorously persecuting, if you will, the servants, the king became angry and furious. By the way, it was righteous anger. It wasn't unrighteous anger. Look at verse 7. But when the king heard thereof, he was what? He was wroth. And he sent forth his armies and destroyed those murderers and burnt up their city. The armies would depict the rod of God's judgment or wrath. The nation of Israel would be dispersed throughout the Gentile world. It's been said that this condemnation uh, simply fell upon Israel, refers to the destruction of the temple in 70 AD by the Romans. But I also believe it could have a double reference, alluding to the end times when Jesus will come again, and those people simply, uh, the Jews also, uh, that would go against uh, Christ. The parable expresses God's judgment. So those who were originally called to the marriage were not only forfeited the right to enter in, but listen, judgment came upon them. And it was fierce judgment. And you can mark it down. God who is just, holy and righteous will deal with bad behavior. He will avenge the blood of the martyrs. He will. We see that in, uh, in Revelation chapter 6, the fifth seal, when the martyrs were being persecuted by the Antichrist and his minions and followers that the blood of the martyrs were crying out to God and saying, when will thou avenge us? And, uh, and, and, and it was almost like the Lamb of God was saying, in time, their time is coming. Their time is coming. You know, you can, you can mark it down. Bad behavior, unrepented sinners will always be judged. Always. In 2 Thessalonians 1 verse 6, notice what the Bible says, seeing it is a righteous thing with God. What's a righteous thing with God? to recompense tribulation to them that and to you who are troubled rest with us when the Lord Jesus shall be revealed from heaven with the mighty angels in flaming fire taking vengeance on them that know not God and that obey not the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ notice verse 8 notice the conclusion the king gives in relation to these Jews who rejected the call and then saith to his servants the wedding is ready but they which were bidden were not what? They're not worthy. Well, hang on a minute. They were worthy a moment ago. How come they're not worthy now? Because they rejected the call. They rejected the, the, the invitation. Uh, they were apathetic towards the king's invitation, the servant's invitation, the son of God's honor. And Israel, who was called by God time and time again, was rejected. They rejected him. They rejected God time and time again. The Bible says he came to his own and his own received him not. But as many as received him, to them gave he power to become the sons of God. Even to them that believe on his name. So as a result, the nation as a whole, Israel as a whole, because you can still get individual Jews to be saved, but Israel as a whole was deemed unworthy of the call and to bear fruit or to come in this case to come into the kingdom and, uh, and feast at the wedding uh, marriage, if you will. And God rejects them and turns to 
the Gentiles. It's similar to uh, the giving of the vineyard of others in the previous passage there, parable in chapter 21. Look at verse 43 again. Therefore I say unto you, the kingdom of God shall be taken from you and given to who? Another nation, bringing forth fruits thereof. So now they've deemed themselves unworthy and God was going to give now the blessing to another nation. So the kingdom will now go to those whom God has deemed worthy and it will go to another nation who will appreciate the call of God, the value and the invitation and the honour of Christ. So the king now, he scraps the first and uh, brings in the second list. And this reminds us of Acts chapter 13, by the way, if you want to turn there just quickly, turn to Acts 13. And I want you to see this. This is almost like the contrast between the parable, what took place in Acts chapter 13, when the invitation to the Jews was given by the apostle Paul and they rejected it. Matthew chapter, oh sorry, Acts 13 and verse 44. Notice what the Bible says there in the next day, Sabbath day, the next Sabbath day, almost the whole city together came together, the whole city came to, to hear the word of God. But when the Jews saw the multitude, what happened? They were filled with envy and spake against those things which were spoken by Paul, contradicting and blaspheming. Then Paul and Barnabas waxed bold and said, it was necessary that the word of God should first have been spoken to you, this is to the Jews, but seeing ye put it from you, and look at this, judge yourself unworthy of everlasting life, lo, we turn to who? The Gentiles. And verse 47, And so had the Lord commanded us, saying, I have set thee to be a light of the Gentiles, that thou shouldest be for salvation unto the end of the earth. You couldn't think of any other parallel passage to complement, if you will, this sobering parable. They deemed themselves to be unworthy of everlasting life. They themselves rejected Christ. They themselves didn't want to come to the marriage. They themselves didn't want to come and be subject to the king's invitation. And so, lo, we turn to the Gentiles. And now we see the call to the Gentiles, verse 9 and 10. This is the third invitation. He says, Go ye therefore into the highways, and as many as ye find, bid, the, bid them to the marriage. So those servants went out into the highways and gathered together all as many as they found both bad and good and the wedding was furnished with what guests and so this is no doubt alludes to the fulfillment of the great commission that jesus gave in verse 28 when he says go into the world and preach the teach uh, preach the gospel teach the gospel every creature and baptize them in the name of the father son holy spirit and lie on with you always and teaching them to observe all things whatsoever i, I command you and lie on with you always even to the uttermost parts of the world or end of the end of the world amen and so there we see, go ye therefore in the highways, and the gospel extended to the Jewish nation, or the Gentile nation. And those servants went out. And those servants would no doubt be ones that would obey the calling of God. For the most part, the apostles and the disciples and their successors. And they gathered together all as many as they found. Look at this, both, both what? Bad and good. Now what does this mean? Well, the term both bad and good refers to different classes of people within the society. So the bad would be considered like the Samaritans. People looked down at the Samaritans. 
Oh, they're the outcasts of society. As a matter of fact, some Jewish people wouldn't go through Samaria. They'd go around Samaria because they were deemed to be, you know, uh, the outcast, if you will. And also people like harlots, prostitutes. Well, that's what happens today, doesn't it? Your common man looks at people in prison and say, well, we're better than them. They're very bad people. And we're morally upright. And so the good people of the society will be those that perhaps have some morals and don't commit these gross things. Uh, they hold up some standards, if you will. They're esteemed in high regard within their community. Uh, people like the centurion. Remember when the Jews came to Jesus and said, you know, he's worthy of his servant to be healed because he loveth our nation and he buildeth our, us a synagogue. He's worthy. But what did the centurion think to, of himself? <laughs> no, I'm not worthy. Yeah, I mean, you can't even come to my house. I'm not worthy. I can't even come to you. I'm not worthy. And so they looked at him as being a good person, upright. And so here, both bad and good within that society were called to come and they were furnished with guests, speaks about a multitude of people from every nation responding to the invitation of the marriage feast. Reminds me of Revelation 5, 9. And they sung a new song saying, Thou art worthy to take the book and to open the seals thereof. For thou wast slain and hast redeemed us to God by, the blood of, uh, by thy blood out of what? Every kindred and tongue and people and nation. Now we come to the end. We come to the crucial truth of the parable. Look at verse 11. We find a serious and sobering part of the parable here. And when the king came in to see the guest, he saw a man which had not on a wedding garment. Well, back in the day, it's been said that when a king hosted a royal feast, he would present each guest with a fest festive robe to be worn on that occasion. And in this case, a wedding garment. Perhaps a white one, uh, which depicts purity, is given to each guest. However, there was one invited guest that didn't wear his garment. And he was spotted out of uh, the rest. Now notice the king's confrontation, verse 12. And he saith unto him, Friend, how camest thou in hither not having a wedding garment? How'd you get in here without a wedding garment? Can you imagine that? The confrontation that would have taken place. By the way, he called him friend. I would say, and again, I don't want to read into parables. There's always one central truth, but it's, it's safe to say this. Jesus was a friend of sinners, wasn't he? The invitation went to all men, didn't it? Absolutely. It wasn't say, he didn't say, who invited you? He didn't say that. And again, I don't want to make this as a, stre a stretch. I don't want to try to bring out some theology from the parable that it's not in there or read into the text. I'm very careful in doing that. But it's safe to say that he was more concerned about not having the garment on. The invitations to all. Jews, Gentiles, everyone. Leaders, kings, those in authority, rich and poor, black and white. This wasn't the problem here. What was the problem? He didn't have his garment on. He didn't have his wedding garment on. It gives us an indication that this person was indeed invited to the marriage feast without the garment. So what was the issue? Didn't have the garment. He didn't put it on. He, 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 so what does this tell us? This simply means that no man, Jew or Gentile, will enjoy the marriage feast if they do not wear the wedding garment. So what does the wedding garment represent then, you ask? Well, 
If you look at other passages of scripture, you will see and find that the saints were clothed with white robes, which, which depicted the fact that they had trusted Jesus Christ as their personal savior and were washed by the blood of the lamb. We can also call it having the robe of righteousness. You go back now, if you will, to Revelation uh, 7. Have a look at Revelation 7, or move forward, I should say. And I want you to see something here. Something that relates to this parable in respect to the robe or the wedding garment. Because without the robe being put on, there is no way you're going to be sitting and enjoying the wedding or the marriage and the marriage feast. You must have your garments on. You're invited to come, but do you have your garment? Do you have your wedding garment on? Now, let me just say, people are not going to sneak in and then all of a sudden, this is a parable, remember. The Lord is conveying something so severe here that even though you're invited to come, you must have the wedding garment. Because a lot of people will say, yeah, I believe in Jesus. Yes, 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 I know the gospel. Yeah, good. But do you have the wedding garment? Yeah, I go to church. I go to church. I've never said if you go to church. I never said if you pray. I never said if you give money to the poor and do good works. I said, do you have the wedding garment on? And the wedding garment depicts someone that is washed in the blood of the Lamb. I want you to see it in Revelation chapter 7, verse 9. Look at this. After this, and this is uh, something you know, John is actually seeing and viewing and, and, and into the future. It's a revelation into the future. He says, And after this I beheld, and lo, a great multitude, which no man could number, of all nations and kindreds and people and tongues, stood before the throne and before the Lamb. Look at this. Clothed with what? White robes. And palms in their hands. And cried with a loud voice saying, Salvation to our God, which sitteth upon the throne and unto the Lamb. And all the, people, all the angels stood round about the throne and about the elders and the four beasts and, and fell before the throne on their faces and worshipped God, saying, Amen, blessing and glory uh, uh, and wisdom and thanksgiving and honour and power and might be unto our God forever and ever. Amen. And one of the elders answered, saying unto me, what are these which are arrayed in white robes? And whence came they? And I said unto him, Sir, thou knowest. And he said unto me, and he said to me, These are, the, these are they which came out of the great tribulation, and look at this, and washed their robes and made them white. How? In the blood of the Lamb. You know, you can go through the religious. Uh, uh, you know, traditions of traditional customs and any religion, even traditional Christianity, and you can go and do your christening and confirmation and Eucharist and all. I went through all that. I was an altar boy and all the rest of it. But listen, my friends, I never had the gown. I was religious but lost. Had I died without Christ with my religious upbringings and traditions and religions, there, I would perhaps be this man. And the king will say, what are you doing here? Look, listen, you've got to have 
uh, your robe, your white robe. This is uh, no doubt a picture of those that have repented and put their faith in Jesus Christ and been washed by the blood of the Lamb, not trusting their self-righteousness, not trusting their good works, but just relying on God's grace, on God's love and the plan of salvation that God had planned from the beginning that His Son will come and die for every single sinner. John the Baptist said, Behold, the Lamb of God that taketh away the sin of the world. John Philip said, Love spreads the feast, but not, but not love at the expense of holiness. There is no excuse for appearing in the wrong garment because the required robe is God's gift to His guests. For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. So how did the man respond? Well, have a look. Verse 12, friend, how comest thou hither not having a wedding garment? He asked him a question. And he was what? In other words, he had nothing to say. Speechless, had nothing to say. Had, by the way, had no excuse. This indicates to us that he knew better. I mean, the robe was available. He knew that he had to put it on, but he didn't. It was not that he forgot to put it on. The question was put forward by the king. How camest thou hither not having a wedding garment? And the king demanded an explanation, but no reason was given. So I didn't know I have to wear a garment. I didn't know the terms and conditions to the invitation. No. The king demanded an explanation, but no explanation was given. And though the door is open to the Gentiles, it does not mean that they can enter in by their own means. Even to the Jews. It's not by your own means. It's not by your self-righteousness. Listen, Old Testament, uh, New Testament, and future tribulation period, it's never by your own means. It's always by faith in Jesus Christ. Always. Christ Jesus has always been the only way to the Father, prepared from the foundation of the world. In this case, Christ Jesus is the only way to the marriage feast. Locker said, every sinner must comply with the king's terms if they are to experience the king's grace. I like that. Look, listen, friends, brothers and sisters, our garments are no, are no good. To enter in, our, our garments are no good. It's not acceptable. It's all stained with sin. It's, we're not pure. We're not righteous. Even though we try to have and put on self-righteousness and say before men, look at me, listen, your garments are stained with sin. Unless the blood of Christ has washed your sin away. Behold the Lamb of God that taketh away our, uh, the sin of the world. He blots out your sin. And you'll be clothed with Christ. You humbly accept Christ as your Savior and your only Savior. That's the only way to get in. It's the only way to put on the robe of right. Your, your robe won't do it. It's not good enough. It's stained with sin and self-righteousness. It's been said, the man in the parable who was not wearing a wedding garment represents those who profess salvation. But do not possess salvation. You know what Jesus said to the Jews? These people honour me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. They worship me in vain. You say, is that possible? Absolutely. 
If you go a couple of chapters, we don't have time to do that. We're almost done. We're almost there. You're doing great, by the way. In this, it's, even though it's got air conditioning, it's still really hot. If you look at this, the, the parable of the ten virgins in Matthew chapter 25, you see there were five foolish and five wise. Only five went in. It was the wise ones that had oil in their uh, lamps. The five foolish didn't have any oil. They weren't going in because in this parable they didn't have the mark or the seal, if you will, what we're going to look at tonight, uh, later on, of the Holy Spirit. And that's important. But over here they didn't have the robe of righteousness, the robe of Christ, if you will, you know, just covered by the blood of the Lamb. And that's important. We, we need not to simply uh, sugarcoat this. It's important because... Notice the king command. Look at his command, the king's command. I want you to see verse 13. The man is now judged for his blunt rejection of the terms of the king which he put in place. It is a judgment for that too. He bluntly rejected the orders that would have been given to him to enter in. And I believe that it's very simple. It's to obey the gospel by having faith in Jesus Christ. And verse 13. Then said the king to the servants. Look at this. This is sobering. Bind him hand and foot and take him away and cast him into outer darkness and shall be weeping and gnashing of teeth. The servants here, I believe, if I'm correct or could be wrong, check it out yourself, are the angels. That's parallel on the other, I don't know, parables or the other instruction that we see. Specifically, I believe in Matthew 25 as well that the angels will come and cast him out, bind him hand and foot, get him out of here. That, that, that picture's judgment. Friends, listen, I mean, this is, the, this is the horror. This is the horror of it. I'm invited. Oh, yes, I'll be in heaven. Oh, yes, I'll be in, in the, at the feast. Oh, yes, yes, I can't wait to go. Oh, yes, I'm saved. Yeah, no problem. Good if you are, praise God. But if you think you are and you're not, that's going to be a horror. So I'm just simply saying to you, make sure you have the wedding garment. <laughs> or you're out to utter darkness. And notice, what, notice how severe this is in Revelation. Look what it talks about here. In Revelation 22. Look at it. Uh, uh, Revelation 20. I am, the al- I am the Alpha, the Omega, the beginning, the end, the first and last. Blessed are they that do, uh, that do His commandments. They may have right to the tree of what? And may enter through the gates into the city. But who's outside of the gates? Who's, who's outside of the kingdom? This is strong vocabulary. Dogs, sorcerers, whoremongers, murderers, idolaters. And whosoever maketh a lie. Now, if we're not the first five or four, whatever they are, we, we're definitely, we've lied before. People live a lie. People, as a matter of fact, people embrace lies and rather would be led by lies. And who's the father of lies, by the way? The devil. The devil. And Jesus is light and the truth. And he wants you to know the truth that you may be set free and made free. Well, if you go back to uh, Matthew 22, verse 13, he says, uh, binding head and foot and take him away and cast him into utter darkness. Look at this. Where there shall be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Wow. Wow. Weeping is almost like wailing. <laughs> the realization 
of the reality of rejecting the king and the son. The gnashing of teeth, some have said that it's this gnashing because of the agony and the torment that they're experiencing. But others believe, and I believe they get it from Revelation, is when they're gnashing at God. They're still on their judgment day. And Revelation, we can see a little picture of that. Could be a possibility that God was judging those unbelievers and those that had taken the mark and they were still blaspheming God. They would not repent of their evil ways. You say, that's dreadful. God doesn't want that for anybody. I mean, God is not willing that any should perish, but all come to repentance. Notice the last verse and we're done. Matthew 22, look at verse 14. For many are called, but a few are chosen. Well, the question has to be asked. A few questions here. Who are the called? Everyone. Many. Jew and Gentile. Uh, the common Jew and the leaders. Uh, the Gentile? Well, every, every Gentile. There's no special kind of Gentile, is there? Samaritans, non-Samaritans, Americans, Lebanese, Australians. Amen? From every nation. Well, you're all called to come. God loves all men. It's for whosoever will. God's whosoever will has been extended from, the, from, genera from generation to generation. As a matter of fact, uh, wisdom cries out and puts forth her voice in the street. Come! Prophet after prophet, come! Jesus, come unto me, all ye that labor and are heavy laden. The Spirit and the bride say, come! All the way through, God is inviting you to come, everyone, every single person. Or who are the chosen? By the way, this verse is not for Calvinism. It actually speaks against Calvinism. How do they use a verse that is actually anti-Calvinism? For Calvinism. It's talking about distorting and corrupting the scripture. The chosen are clearly stated after looking into this parable in detail are those that are clothed in the wedding garment. And who are those? Those that have put their faith in Jesus Christ. They've responded, if you will, to the invitation or to the call and they've come to the, to the, uh, the marriage on, on the king's conditions and have simply trusted, if you will, the plan of salvation. It's not difficult to understand that. Many accord, but a few are chosen. Reminds me of Matthew chapter 7. Wide is the gate that leads to, to destruction, and many enter through therein. And narrow is the road that leads to life, and only a few there be that find it. Only a few. Why? Because God chose them? No. God specific people I mean to enter in and cho chose the rest to die and go to no 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 that's why he says strive to enter in the straight gate you strive how by coming to the Lord uh, take that meat which doesn't perish but the meat that endures to everlasting life strive after that it's our responsibility now we're all chosen from the foundation of the world in Christ every single person that is chosen by God are believers that have put their faith in Jesus Christ why would God create and control people to, from, from, from the foundation of the world to, to reject him and then condemn him for it? It's absurd, no. He creates people and I've always called people to follow him, but they said no, we will not. They got stiff-necked, they resist the Holy Ghost and it's to their indictment. 
Many have been called, but the chosen ones are they that have come on God's terms and condition by receiving Jesus Christ as their personal saviour. I want you to see one more passage that relates to this. And as we turn to Revelation 19, I want to ask you a question. Do you have your wedding garment? You have it ready. Do you have it? Because if you don't, you're not getting in. Sober, isn't it? But it's wonderful at the same time because you can. God wants you to have it. God is not willing that any should perish. God loves you. He, he, he gave his son for you. He, he, so you won't perish but have everlasting life. It's tremendous. It's only sad for those that reject Christ. But I want you to see Revelation 19 as we close. Look at verse 6. And I heard as if it were, again, this is Revelation John's giving in the future things to come. And I heard as if it were the voice of a great multitude and as the voice of many waters and as the voice of the mighty thundering saying, Hallelujah! We, we sung that in the first hymn, amen. Hallelujah! For the Lord God omnipotent reigneth. Let us be glad and rejoice and give honour to him for the marriage of the Lamb is what? It's come! And his wife hath made herself what? Ready! How is she ready? And to her was granted that she should be arrayed in what? Fine linen. Clean and what? White. And the fine linen is the righteousness of what? The saints. And he saith unto me, Right, blessed are they, that are they which are called unto the marriage supper of the Lamb. And he saith unto me, These are the true sayings of God. So, brethren, when the kingdom comes, this is... As simple as it is, you're either going to be blessed or cursed. But let me say this in closing. If you're cursed, don't blame God. I beg you here today, don't blame God. No man will, will stand before God saying, you never told me so. You never told me the terms and conditions. You didn't, you didn't, you didn't know. God, you have, the truth has come to you. you. You know the truth. Jesus is the only way to heaven. He's the only door to heaven. There's no other way. There's no other way. By the way, the marriage supper of the Lamb. You read uh, Revelation 18 and 19. The marriage supper of the Lamb happens after Babylon is fallen and after the vengeance of God takes place upon those that come against God's people. You read it. Very clear. Revelation 18, 19. Very clear. You follow, you follow it through. And Babylon is, is, is fallen. God takes vengeance. And the, and the marriage is come. By the way, there aren't, there, there aren't two marriages that takes place. There's one marriage that takes place. One fold, one shepherd. Made of Jews and Gentiles. Whosoever will, may come. Do you have your wedding, wedding garments on? I hope you do. And if you don't, maybe today will be the day. You go home. Close the door in your room. And you say, dear God, forgive me. Have mercy upon me, a sinner. And ask Jesus Christ to save you from your sin. Have a repentant heart, broken before God. Say, God, I can't save myself, even if I tried. My sins are many. I'm a sinful person. I'm not worthy of you. I'm not worthy at all. Whatever you've done, sending your son to die on the cross for me, I'm not worthy of that, but I sure need it. Please, Lord.
The Bible says, Whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Praise God for that. If you're not saved, I pray, you'd get saved already. Get right with God. You know why? Because the time is at hand. John preached this. Repent for the kingdom of God is at hand. Jesus preached this. Repent for the kingdom of God is at hand. It's coming. But when it comes, will you be ready? Let's pray.